The world around us is changing faster than ever before. before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome. Welcome. to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vassar, your host. This is actually part two of a two-part series related to my opening session at SampleCon not too long ago. And we talk about future-proofing our industry. We covered a wide array of topics. And this episode, we primarily focus on the implications of the capital that's coming into our industry, user engagement, how do we improve the process of user engagement, as well as we get a little bit personal. We ask our esteemed panel about what are some of the key lessons that they've learned as both professionally and personally as it relates to the impact of COVID-19 slash pandemic. Take a listen. I hope you like it. Let's talk about our industry. One of the big things that's happened over the last several years and was probably more pronounced over the last 20 months is the amount of capital that's coming into the market the amount of mergers and acquisitions that are happening. And I would argue the expansion of our ecosystem, right? We have new digital players that are enabling more insights, new buying audiences within corporations, maybe not just in consumer insights, but marketing and brand product. What are the opportunities for people in the space today that you know might not have raised capital, that might not be thinking about an acquisition or being bought? What are the opportunities? What do you guys think? Okay, so... For us, and Patrick, we were talking a little bit about this yesterday. I don't think we've talked enough about the impact of post-cookie world on the sample industry. Uh, We're sitting on some incredible data that I think has been overseen by digital marketers for a long time, even though we know they've been using it in some capacity. But I think, you know, what post-cookie represents, one, I don't think the digital ad industry has really come to grips with how that's going to really impact their world. And two, the sample industry, we are really poised to fill a lot of the data gaps that that are going to occur in a post-cookie world. So um, we're already starting to see some investments, new companies growing, some companies here that are already making some plays in this space. But I think that's, for us, has been one of the big opportunities that we're pursuing. I don't know how anyone could be successful in the future as a sales manager or a brand manager or an operations manager in any company without also being a little bit of a data scientist. I mean, this is a secular trend, and that's why there's so many platforms. And so where the investment has come in on the periphery of our industry, the demand for data, people are using those platforms. The demand for data is exploding, whether it be because of uh, regulatory restrictions around or, you know, even what companies are doing to restrict tracking. We're just, I think, on the very front end of it. I think that investment should be a wake-up call for us as professionals that the game is about to be brought to our industry and you know whether that pertains to diversifying who we hire whether that pertains to you know making sure we're 
iterating and failing faster and figuring out what that future looks like, I think we've just seen the beginning of this because you look out at the world and everybody needs more data. Data is becoming more difficult to get and more and more people are figuring out what we do. Yeah. And they're seeing it for the value it has versus the value that we've seen it as in the past. And so I'm really excited about that. I think it creates tremendous opportunities. And I think the people we're able to attract and retain, even in a really competitive labor market, has just expanded mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, skill, experience. And that is another indication that we're kind of on the very front end of this trend. So I think this conference could look a lot different in three years. Mm -hmm a lot more people who've not been here before. Could, could not agree more. I mean, we, I think uh, it was a sample con years ago. We started talking about audience and media mm -hmm. data and how that was going to impact our, our industry. And we're sitting on a gold mine, ladies and gentlemen. We have, as a collective group, right. consented first-party data that we have permission every day to ask questions in. That's a remarkable capacity that most people in MarTech or AdTech just don't have any access mm -hmm. to. And so with the layer of GDPR and CCPA and the rest, suddenly what we have built for years as part of our status quo of delivering data and insights through surveys, suddenly has become really interesting to a lot of other players because we have a view on identity in a cookie-less world. We have a, the ability to create and understand audiences in a way that the ad tech world has just never really understood. And it's a remarkable overlay. And to your point on talent, Bob, the ability for senior capable individuals from ad tech or martech to want to come into our industry, dare I say res tech, and say, we want to do this, right? Because it's exciting to see those two fields overlay. Yeah. And there's a lot of, as our industry has become more programmatic and connected, it allows us to integrate and play in that space in a unique way. It's like our recent integration with Trade Desk, which is the largest independent uh, platform outside of Google and Facebook. That just shows what kind of connection can mm -hmm. actually occur. Uh, allowing a, all the trade desk customers to instantly access our media capabilities. So it's very uh, telling that that integration is all API and programmatic. Right. That's a very different world than yep. we were in a couple of years ago. Rebecca, how does this impact you? I think a little bit more abstractly okay. uh, for me, but I think one of the big things that came out of the pandemic for me was that a lot of our traditional ways of doing things, a lot of our systems were exposed to be kind of flawed or mm -hmm. broken. And I am really excited about the opportunity. And we've heard you guys talk about this a little bit. If we have a chance to do something different yeah. and to build in a different way and to think about things differently. And so let's, you know, use this opportunity to shake off some of the stuff that didn't work. So the idea of new money, new investors, new ideas coming into the space, I think is nothing but excellent for the industry. You know, we all need to shake it up a shake bit. Shake it up a bit. Yeah. And I think also as your business grows, there's still a place for valuable insights and recommendations. Like that doesn't go away. It just, you basically up your game a bit in terms of what you're providing to clients, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. I think we saw that during the pandemic yes. as well, right? We're talking about empathy and it was good to just talk on a human level, yes. right? Yep. I think companies feel that as well about going back to basics, mm -hmm. a lot more kind of, we've seen an increase in qual on the full service side going back and just talking to customers mm -hmm. again. I think companies feel that same yeah. um, need to go back and speak directly to their consumers as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's, a, I mean, all of these topics that we've been talking about yeah. since the beginning of 
Time. Time. Um, Are we suddenly, supposed to be just better humans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they suddenly feel a bit more urgent. Yes. And, you know, I see it in our business where maybe a good example is uh, where there's not enough reach in a geography. We're seeing a resurgence of telephone interviewing yeah. to build lists to target ads. I mean, this is modern kind of data matching starting from the telephone. Right. right? And so I think there's this... It's kind of moved beyond we know what we should do, but we're not, and into this urgency of there's money coming into the space, there's opportunity, there's a moment, and we need to start treating the people who fuel our industry like human beings. And I think the companies and people who do that are going to be the ones that benefit the most from the investment coming in. And it's going to be a bit of a model shift, and I think it's really exciting, and I think it can help everybody in every part of the industry. Because it really, Qual's another great example. There's so much opportunity to do more qual in a world that's changing more quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult to do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, to that point, Bob, I think the the companies that are holding on to things the way they were or trying to put things back into the box are the ones that are going to fail. Mm-hmm. It's the companies that are like, yeah, let's try it. Let's do something different. Let's explore what that looks like. I've talked about this in my personal life so much, but Tim Cook's decision to make everybody come back to Apple, I think is one of the worst decisions ever. Yeah, And it's a perfect example of somebody who was like, no, 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 the old system worked for me. So mm-hmm. we're going to make it work again. And it's just not acknowledging how much things have changed and how much people want things to change. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think if as business leaders, if we stay nimble and open and adaptive, then it's nothing but positive. I sometimes think, you know, think about what machine learning has done for the world. All machine learning is, is doing your statistics a little bit faster with a little bit more data and getting to the failure point faster and trying something new. It's just an, it's a fast iterative process and it's transformed the world. All the devices we hold in our hands and talk to and everything else. And I think that's what we need to do as an industry and capital is going to facilitate that. It'll be less costly, I think, to make those iterative decisions. So I think it's really exciting. Patrick, how does ResTech play into all of this? Beautifully. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> it was SampleCon last. Yes, in person. In person, February. where we talked yeah. about this topic. And we voted. I'll put that in air quotes because I think it tied between ResTech and like data tech or yeah. something. But ResTech came off the tongue slightly better, I think. But it really comes down to, are we going to start holding our own in an environment where we're butting up against MarTech and AdTech? And are we going to attract the talent mm-hmm. and also the capital to an industry? I think the biggest problem with ResTech is that I just did it yeah. myself, <laughs> right? Well, the team, actually. And so it's important that if we're going to build a landscape that we all can kind of agree to, air quotes again, that it's a broader consortium than just Lucid, just Comer right. going at it, for yep. better or worse. And so I think the main thing is that we invite others into the table to mm-hmm. define it. I think that's the big point. And so, Seema, you've, you said yes, you would, yes, you would I come in and help. Did. Yep. So what I'd like to be able to do before the next iteration comes out by the end of this quarter Mm -hmm. is have several other people say, I want to be a part of identifying and making sure we've got the right companies and the right buckets defined successfully. So if you want to be a part or know someone who wants to be a part of that discussion, I'd I'd love to hear about it so that we can create a a more broad-based view than just what I would call what I came up with. (laughs) But the real value of ResTech is allowing people who don't understand our industry to feel like they do. Yeah. And I got a number of phone calls from colleagues in our space who were raising capital over the last six months or nine months when we first started this dialogue, who were like, thank God you said that because investors now 
went from deer in headlights to the light bulb went off and they feel like they understand how to approach the industry. And that's the entire point. How do we let not only investors, but also some of the senior talent that isn't part of this space feel like there's an entire landscape that they can put a career into, that they don't have one company to join, but there's also a career development opportunity for them across the board. So I look at it as a branding opportunity to raise and elevate the the entire industry. I think the challenge, Bob, I would imagine for a company like Dynata is that you play in so many spaces within that definitional landscape, uh. right? Like, how do you <laughs> deal with that? It is a challenge, and right. I think it's great to define the new look of the industry. The, the right. challenge with any structure is you abstract yes. detail. Yep. And so I think, you know, this is going to be a never-ending back and forth like yes. it is in other industries because we're all wrapped up in the time we spend in our careers and we care about what we've built and accomplish. And so you, you want to make sure you're properly represented. And my sense is that that is a tension that you can't ever ultimately resolve. Right. And as the industry changes, then that landscape and that map is mm-hmm. going to change. And that's okay. Yeah. I think it's helpful to have a definition and a description of what we do. Hot topic. (laughs) Supply, supply, supply. Keep hearing there's not enough supply. People are experiencing quote-unquote shortages. Surveys aren't getting filled and completed. What are the drivers for this quote-unquote shortage? Or is it really that people are getting reprioritized because the user experience is not so great? It's a hot topic. (laughs) <laughs> for back, you want to start, Mark? Oh, go ahead, no, please, please, please. Go ahead, go ahead. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to my team. And, you know, we're experiencing supply issues just like everybody else. And this was a couple of months ago. And I remember on the phone with Art. I don't know if he's here, but I remember saying the jig is up. And I've actually heard that in conversations with uh, a couple of team members here. And it feels like a refrain that's really resonating, and I think it's describing what's happening really well. Um, one of the key drivers that I see that happened in 2020 in particular, right, is that those of us with assets, whether that's a traditional double opt-in panel or panel or whatever we're calling some kind of res tech, you know, the <laughs> investments have kind of scaled back, right, when the pandemic first hit, and we all kind of resorted to purchasing on the various exchanges that are out there. And that's a slippery slope, right? As we <laughs> stop investing in, in our assets. Patrick's um, shocked here. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great to me. As we stop investing in our assets and purchasing on the exchange, if enough companies do that, the jig is up, right? And so I think one of the ways that, I mean, we're correcting, we're reinvesting in our assets. And mm-hmm. I have conversations with some of you all throughout yesterday, I think, that are experiencing the supply issue. Um, thankfully, the economy is kind of coming back. We're all doing much better than we were early on in 2020. I think that's increasing supply. So that's one big trend that I see that we kind of pulled back on the investment of our respondent assets. Um, but I think we're reinvesting there now that we're having these supply yep. issues. Rebecca, I know when we spoke to you, you said, I'm good. Like, I don't have a problem. Tell us what you do. When you- <laughs> Tell us more. Well, Tell us more. <laughs> You're uh, like, I don't, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, well, then I went and talked to my staff. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it turns out they just don't level up. <laughs> you know, I think that we really pride ourselves on 
trying to have partnerships with our partners. I mean, we really see it as a collaborative partnering effort. So I've worked at other organizations where it's kind of this like, I mean, shit rolls downhill, right? The client shits on you and then you shit on your sample provider and right. And it, and I hated that mentality. Kind of where it ends. No, then, then the respondent. Okay. (laughs) We try to come at things from a very much like, how can we help you? What are the things that we can do? We try to, you know, bring those conversations back. We had an interesting conversation about on the agency side, it actually might be more beneficial for agencies to be circumspect and non-transparent about mm-hmm. it because we're trying to appease our clients. We don't want to let them know all this ugly stuff that's going on over here. But if you're going direct to the end client, then you can be a little bit more conversational. So mm-hmm. that candor is, is one of our values. And that's always something that we've talked about. So when I checked in with my staff, they were like, yes, we're candid with our clients. We're talking about what the issues are. So I'll give an example of what we do. There were two studies that we did back to back, both B2B studies. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to, in both cases, people that work with the financial technology within their organizations. And the first study, we were sending back about half of the sample. Just terrible. Just wasn't working. They just, they weren't, you know, there were sort of the checks that our providers were doing, but then there were also checks that we were doing that just, it was awful. So field time extended quite a bit and the client got quite frustrated. And then we headed into the second project and we actually put in the screener quizzes. So we put in these questions of like, you know, which of the following are you responsible for? And then just threw in a bunch of jargon that made no sense. You know, I'm responsible for maximizing the elevation of the critical inputs or I don't know, whatever, you know, just something that like, obviously no. And people that said yes to those kinds of things were screened out. So yeah. we actually had, and I will say too, that we screened out in that second scenario, 240 people that failed those quizzes and our sample size was 300. Oh, wow. And if we had let them in... You know, I mean, it would have been meaningless to the client. So we're trying to do things like that on our end. Like, how can we sort of help create checks and systems Mm -hmm. for, you know, to help our providers? And then we share all of that information with them, of course, and talk about, like, you know, so they can go back and kind of, you know, clean up and think about things. And so it is a bigger problem than I knew about. (laughs) But I think that what I am really proud of my team for is that we're just, we're taking it very much as like, this is our problem, not a your problem. And so we're trying to find ways to, to work through it. This is a difficult challenge because it is a supply challenge and it is a demand challenge Mm -hmm. and it's a quality management challenge. And every time in this industry where we have a global recession, there's a quality challenge because Mm -hmm. there's smart people all over the world who don't have opportunity to earn, Mm -hmm. make a living, right? These are things that happen over and over and over again in our industry. And, you know, we're in a cycle where we treat our respondents often like they're in one of those wilderness camps for wayward youth. We don't afford them trust. And they don't always earn our trust. And that is mutually and negatively reinforcing. And that starts with recruitment. doesn't matter if you're running a panel or not. It goes all the way through to the survey. Mm -hmm. And I think what is required is a lot more transparency and a lot more... We are an industry of people who probably ended up here because we're more quantitatively minded. I think we tend, this is a broad overgeneralization, but I think human nature, we tend to focus on what we can see and optimize it. But we create so much bias in the work we do with the things we can't see, the things that are upstream. And I think all of us, and I like to hear your openness, have to get much more comfortable with the unknown and try these things. And you can see it in very tactical things, but you know, over 80% of people 
drop out of a join form if you ask for their birthday? Mm. And then how many of the buyers of data want to validate against birthday for quality? And why would somebody give us their birthday in their first or second interaction with us? It's insane. For those of you who work in a larger company in the space, you probably get messages from your IT security constantly about phishing. Don't give anyone your birthday. Nobody gives their birthday. And yet we have this expectation. And so I think we just have to kind of step back and say there is a problem because demand is growing. And because consumers, the consumers that don't mind the process as it's constructed today, they're hard to find. Mm-hmm. And we need to really expand the aperture. But it should be easy to do if we work yeah. together. Don't you think, though, there's also more inventory that we can, that is better for the respondent that we can point to? Absolutely. I don't think there's right? a supply challenge everywhere. Right. It's there's just a supply f- challenge if you design the survey Correct. Yeah. You know, yesterday. Right. Our customers that are like technology first, short, fast surveys, right. scaling fast. They don't call us and complain about supply. Right. That's not their issue, typically. It's more quality is their mm-hmm. concern, not supply. Our customers that have tracking longitudinal from whenever ago mm-hmm. are pulling their hair out. Why can't I get supplies? Well, your product sucks, mm-hmm. imperatively, mm-hmm. right? And so this is the moment I've been waiting for. This is awesome <laughs> because we've been complaining about respond experience forever. When is the survey going to get good? Right. Well, now, if you actually want to make any revenue as a research agency, mm-hmm. you actually have to have a good product. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going to get any sample. Mm-hmm. So finally, the jig is up in a different right. way that if you actually want to get sample, you actually have to have a user experience that doesn't really, really suck. Right. And that's part of it's because maybe a supply constraint issue, but maybe it's a demand growth issue where there's so much good inventory yeah. that is really... People can still make their revenue targets, too. And they're making their, yeah. Right? So it's not everybody, a beautiful moment. Not everybody knows the difference between good and bad yet. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the complicating factor. That's true, too. I'd like to ask each of you, what have you learned from COVID-19, either professionally or personally, that will create long-lasting change for you as a person? That was in the summary doc. <laughs> <laughs> Very profound question now that you ask me out loud. Um, I'll, I'll start. I think for me, it was putting why at the center of everything that we do. Why are we doing it this way? Why are we setting up our company this way? Why are we interacting? You know, just like question everything because I feel like a lot of us were caught off guard. You know, we had built these systems to sort of handle, you know, what reality was and then everything changed and realized how insane those systems were. Like, for example, I would leave the house at six in the morning I'd get home at six o'clock at mm-hmm. night. I'd have dinner with my kids for, you know, an hour. And then it's, you know, do your homework, brush your teeth, get in the shower, you know, yeah. blah, 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 and put them to bed. And what a miserable existence, yeah. right? For them and for me. And so the pandemic really forced me to change that. And now I will never go back to that. So that's on a personal level, but then also on a business level, like, why am I paying $20,000 a month for a space? Right. You know, when I could hire two people and, you know, do more with that mm-hmm. and help more people with that. So I think for me, it's really put why in the center of everything and, and not just assume that like, this is the way things are done mm-hmm. and how we have to do them. Awesome. Are right, you want to go next? Yeah. I don't remember that question. <laughs> <laughs> it was bolded actually. <laughs> um, it's at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, you know, Bobby mentioned that industry attracts more quantitative minded people. I think that's true. And I think as a leader, it totally changed how I talk to my staff. For those that know and interact with me, I'm like not big fan of small talk, but the pandemic, you know, totally changed that. And really, I don't consider it small talk anymore. I mean, first and foremost, it just put into perspective 
you know, how are, is my staff doing? Like, how are their families doing? And, you know, getting to know people here even, right, on a personal level, like, I had no idea about mountain bike. So, you know, we're going to hopefully mountain bike one of these days. But it's, you know, just changed my perspective on how, not, how I interact and kind of what's important from mm-hmm. a personal perspective. Bob? Yeah, I mean, I almost look at it like a year and a half of meditation, forced mm. meditation, because, you know, the kind of space that you lived in just collapsed so right. much. And that's a gift I, you know, think we ought to feel lucky for, mm-hmm. whether it's how we operate the business, opportunities to reach out to colleagues and be empathetic and, you know, probably never been a time in my life to learn more, mm-hmm. given the social events that happened over the last 18 months. And so... I feel very refreshed about that and maybe haven't drawn a lot of conclusions, but feel very happy to have mm-hmm. feel like I can take a more thoughtful approach. And I think there's been a lot more integration of personal values right. and professional lives. And I think that will make that will help us all live richer lives and I think be more successful. Yeah, I agree with that too. Patrick. That's a really hard question. <laughs> I mostly think about stories with the executive leadership of uh, Lucid, mm-hmm. where for the longest time as founder and CEO, I used to think that I was supposed to, you know, be the strongest, oh, I was supposed to lift, mm-hmm. hold it all together. Right. Right. Yeah. And during COVID, I can't hold it all together. Right. I'm completely messed up. Right. So I guess what I really learned was to trust and rely on other people more mm-hmm. that I was working with. And be able to completely fall apart and not be able, (laughs) like, to not be able to do the thing today because I'm just, right? So I guess I've learned to be more, I'll use the word vulnerable, but be more human in a lot of different contexts that I wasn't comfortable with before. Mm -hmm. Because I just can't, it's like coming back to conference, you know, I'm full of, like, social anxiety and how do I small talk and what do I do and how do I shake, like, all the things that I haven't done for 18 months are, like, running through my head. I've just let it be, this meditation you're talking about, Bob, just let it be what it is Mm -hmm. and be okay with being a crazy human being at this moment and it's going to be all right. That's okay. And you trust your colleagues. Trust my colleagues, Right. right? Yep. Okay. Thank you for answering that question. I know it was a hard one. Thanks for tuning into this two-part series. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, look, our industry is evolving. We continue to learn more and more about different facets and methodologies of how we can continue to improve. Feel free to email me at sima, S-I-M-A, at infinity-2.com. Look forward to checking back in with you next week. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today thank you for tuning in to data gurus podcast this episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to 
Head over to www.datagurusspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.